as the working week begins, it is time to reflect on what made the racing and sporting landscape over the weekend. Reflecting on the highs and lows of this racing and sporting nation. Rod Marsh is saying no, mate, but I'm sure he's going to bow an underarm delivery. This is possibly a little bit disappointing. Can the Swans do it? Around the nation. Here's Aloisi for a place in the World Cup. This one candidly might go down as one of the great final round collapses in major tournament history. We've got a big hour on the way. Tony Jones, Tom Wren, Nick Markham, and also Richard Haynes to join us. But we are going to kick off around the nation this morning. With Maddie Stewart, and don't forget our Retrovision text line zero four two seven seven eight nine five seven one. Get involved this morning, Maddie. Good morning to you. Good morning, boys. Good morning to you, Maddie. Before we look at the events there at Bendigo on the weekend, it was a good weekend for the Victorians up there in Sydney. Gee, it was, wasn't it? Um, Totsu, Mr. Brightside, the two main ones, and I actually wrote this yesterday. I don't think I've ever there's ever been a more bigger blockbuster day of amazing racing and amazing racing stories and that was with the you know the platform being yet another heavy nine at, at Ramwick with the you know Fireburn the country championships at Ramwick they're doing something very right in New South Wales with you know the country championship actually being targeted at real bushies and getting really lovely bush stories on that big stage you know up against Waller and Bowman and all these superstars so that was great um Hitotsu turning the training manual of horses upside down and reinventing the wheel, which is what Kieran Ma does. And uh, Nature Strip Awesome, Mr. Brightside, amazing win given the context of the Hayes story with the two young lads, uh, Ben and JD. So uh, I just thought it was amazing. And then Bendigo stood up as well. There's so much potential for this meeting. I'd, I'd love to see more community engagement and get a real... Com- you know, the old... Our grandfathers and grandmothers used to have the... The country town where the, the racetrack was the centre of town and the whole town would turn out for major racing events. I'd love to see Bendigo, instead of concentrating so much on prize money, get the town involved, like old school. Like I don't see why a town of 125,000 can't have 15,000 at a major race day. Uh, and there's probably about 4,000 there. So um, other than that, though, the racing was amazing. Bendigo's a beautiful track that should be showcased as a Saturday venue from time to time. And... Harry Coffey's speech up yeah. at Coleridge was the, one of the greatest speeches I think I've ever heard. It was just so lovely and poignant and, uh, and respectful. Uh, so it was just an amazing day all round. And then we, we saw this megastar in Perth as well. Yeah, in Amelia's Jewel. Uh, just on that, Matt, what sort of attraction did she get over there late in the evening over in Victoria? Pretty big. I mean, it was a a very big day to digest, but everyone was mindful that uh, Simon Miller had this superstar over there as well. And I think, yeah, no, especially with Fireburn being the champion of the East, I think everyone was looking at Amelia as, as, you know, like what has the West got? Is the the challenger, this filly from the West, not necessarily one of the ones that Fireburn's uh, ran into in the Golden Slipper and the Sires. So... I think for context, she uh, she really uh, created a lot of interest because we're all wondering, well, maybe could she be the best the best two year old, the West Australian? 
And I think the other intriguing aspect to her, Matt, is the fact that she's by Siuni, who is just something completely different for this part of the world anyway. Here in Western Australia, we've seen a few here in the Southern Hemisphere stand up and make a, mm. make a really good fist of it, and clearly he's just a, a superstar stallion. Yeah, internationally, absolutely. And I think a lot of people are wondering whether Simon Miller's got himself an Arcadia claim, to be honest. So, um, And then we wonder about when the West meets the East with with, uh, with the two-star fillies and when will that happen. And um, Melbourne, firm deck, is what, which is what we provide, and that's, that's a lovely little, um, you know, look to the future because you'd hate to think of uh, that you would have to go to Sydney or something like that. So but meet in the middle in Melbourne in the spring and, and that would be a hell of a clash. Talk of a firm deck, there was some queries early last week in regards to whether Hitotsu could go up there on a on a bog and win, yet the money was really, really strong late, and it was vindicated. He's something very, very special, this Colt. So is his trainer, or his trainer. Yeah. Like, oh, I actually, and I know that the history will never support this, and there's Bart and TJ. I don't think we've ever had a better trainer than Kieran Ma. I think he reinvents wheels that the other guys couldn't reinvent. You know, he doesn't train to any previous uh, method. Uh, you know, uh, he does everything his own way. Uh, there's 20 examples now of him doing extraordinary things with horses that you just can't imagine. Darren Weir was similarly mighty in his own way as well. But, you know, to win Grand Annuals, Jericho's, uh, Doom and 10,000s, uh, Oaks Derby's on a two-run preparation, like... It's almost like he's doing it for fun to prove what can be done. He's got a lot of data, science as well, but no, he's the most impressive trainer I've ever come across in my whole my career, Kieran Ma, there's no doubt about that. What about Nature Strip? Three TJs in a row following on from Chautauqua just, just a couple of years ago. When When is the time for us to start talking about Nature Strip as not only a champion of the turf, but maybe a legend of the turf? Well, he is, and as much as I'm heaping praise on Kieran Ma, Chris Waller just held his line, didn't he? He yeah. knew what to peek him for. So Waller's a mighty trainer as well. It's different, though. It's, it's a bit of an apples and oranges comparison. I think it's an interesting talking point, too. Kieran Ma, Chris Waller, the, the, the two great trainers of this era and how different they are and, and so on. There's probably good yarn in that, but... Um, He's second best to the mayor in the last 40 years. It's quite simple. You know, she's untouchable, but he's clearly ahead of the, the rest. And the rest include Hayless, Buffering, Miss Andretti. Uh, uh, what else have we got? You know, that, that uh, Takeover Target would be in that next category down group as well, Chautauqua. So, but he has proven himself to be in the middle of Black Caviar and, and all the other champions. You saw him down in Melbourne many a time when he was originally trained by Robert Smurden. I think DK Weir had a crack with him as well. Did you ever foresee him scaling these heights, Matt? He was a work in progress. Jay, Johnny Sadler had a crack at him for a yeah, while as well. Yeah. Um, he always had the... the he, was a, he was the beast that had to be harnessed, is basically what he was, and... Sometimes it takes seven years to get it right, doesn't it? You know, and um, this is what we've seen with Nature Strip. So, oh no, no, what he could do was extraordinary, but it had to be harnessed, and he had to learn to pace himself. All these terms that we use these days of horses getting the breathing patterns and pacing themselves, and so on. And and she was perfection by caviar, and and I think we we overly hang them out to dry if they don't win when we expect them to. But mm. that's what the mere mortal horses do. Like as Nature Strip is. 
a phenomenal sprinter, but he's not going to win all the time. It's just that's just the vulnerabilities of not being black caviar. Matt, this week, day two of the championships, you spoke about Waller earlier on there. Can he get the Melbourne Cup winner to peak on the on the day when it counts? That, of course, the Queen Elizabeth Stakes, knowing that she's finished in the placings both of the past two editions of the Queen Elizabeth. This would be his Kieran Ma moment, wouldn't it? I mean, to do what with what, with what Kieran did with Hitotsu, for Chris to drag her off defeat, um, age, miles on the clock, and to win the strongest QE we've had for 20 years. That's a presuming. That's assuming that Animo gets there. He's yes. had a little bit of an issue, but the Zaki's, uh, all the other. I'm Thunderstruck may back up. I'm not sure. What was the other one? There's another mega star in there that I've missed out on. But uh, what was the other one in the market? But anyway, it's going to be an incredible race. And if Chris Waller can you know, get into that race fresh enough to win at this stage of her career, then it's another masterstroke for him. I don't get that excited about the idea of her going to the arc because as great as she is, I don't think she's good enough. And I, I know that makes no sense, but I hope people get where I'm coming from with that. Um, but Nature Strip Home Affairs, I'm actually going over to Europe about that time and I was going to go to a different country, but I, I now feel like I might have to order some top hat and tails. It's going to be pretty hard to resist Royal Ascot, isn't it? Certainly will. Matt, thank you very much for your time this morning. We'll do it again next week. Thanks, boys. There is Matty Stewart having a look at the weekend's racing, Victoria and New South Wales. Let's get over to Channel 7 in Sydney. That's where we find Nick Markham. Nick, good morning to you. Morning, boys. Good morning to you, Nick. Now, before we have a look at the events on field, Payne Haas... And his Brisbane Broncos teammate, Albert Kelly. Um, what is going to transpire here after they got involved in a bit of an altercation? Yeah, well, that video surfaced last night, Diggers. And, yeah, it, it's a very bad reflection on Payne Haas once again. And it's not his first uh, off-field indiscretion. Of course, yeah, we saw him uh, pushing Albert Kelly around and potentially throwing a little punch at him. And... Yeah, look. As I said, it's it's not uh, it's not the first time Payne Haas has been in a bit of trouble. He had an issue early in his career where he refused to cooperate with the integrity unit over a uh, a matter they wanted to investigate. Then he had an an incident where he was abusing officers in police uh, in Tweed Heads and and was punished for that. So yeah, he, he's got form. The the good thing on his side is he's a champion player that they're desperate to keep. So look. Uh, We'll see what happens, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if it's nothing, you know. We, we might see some sort of uh, disciplinary action in terms of a fine, but, but I think that's probably all we'd, we'd see, uh, it, given it is it is uh, on the relatively minor end. But, uh, yeah, look, I, I think, uh, yeah, it's certainly not a good look. And, yeah, for a player that the Broncos are desperate to keep, they might... Uh, they might go relatively lightly on him. We know how that, uh, depending on how good you are as a player, <laughs> certainly, certainly works along the, the scale on what type of punishment you get. So, yeah, look, I'd be surprised if they took anything drastic against Payne, especially, as we said, yeah, they, they want to sign him to a new long-term contract at some point. And, yeah, look, there's a lot of talk around whether he'll be the next million-dollar a player season. So, you know, he, he's very much an in-demand player. So, yeah, I think the Broncos will tread carefully with this one and we might just see a... A financial sanction, but uh, yeah, certainly not a good look for the club given uh, their, their public uh, utterances, especially once uh, yeah, Payne was in trouble the last time. On field yesterday, a couple of blowouts. Firstly, Parramatta, a 48-14 win over the Dragons. That follows their win over the Storm. Uh, should Parramatta fans be pretty excited with what they're seeing at oh, the moment? Oh, I think so, Tim. Yeah, geez, it was 
it was very impressive last night. Admittedly, the, the Dragons were poor, but geez, the, the attack the Eels were able to show last night with Mitch Moses and Dylan Brown firing on all cylinders was it was, it was some Harlem Globetrotter stuff. There was a brilliant try right on the end, uh, right at the end of the match from Mitch Moses that came off a. Uh, a flick pass from Bryce Cartwright that was some absolutely scintillating attacking play. Moses put a few brilliant kicks in. And, and the big thing I think this season, or certainly in the last few weeks, it'll be a big thing whether he can keep it going or not, is Dylan Brown's form. He was well below his best last year, the Moses' halves partner, but he's been absolutely brilliant the last two weeks. Start against in their, in their Golden Point win over the Storm, and he really set the tone last night with a brilliant left foot step to tear through the Dragons and put the Earls on the board early. And, yeah, look, uh, with those two really firing, they're, they're, there's a bit um, a bit to come back to with Mike Acevo, their star Fijian winger, will come back from a knee reconstruction around the midway point of the season. So, yeah, look, I, I think there's plenty to get excited about. And, yeah, when they're up and going like they were last night, geez, they're good to watch. Nick, we had been quite complimentary regarding... Canterbury because they had been having a crack and, you know, they looked like they might have turned the corner. They were handed a really, really savage reality check there yesterday by Melbourne. Oh, absolutely. And look, it was just, it was brutal. The the dogs had so much possession in the first half. The storm turned them away time and time again. And that first half was actually relatively, relatively even. But the, the, the only difference was the storm, every time they got down into the Bulldogs area, they scored through guys like Ryan Pappenhausen and, and Kenny Bromwich. But that second half, geez, oh, it, it was absolutely... There, there's no better team to watch when they're up and going, the Storm. They play so fast and direct through Harry Grant out of dummy half. And when you've got guys with like Ryan Pappenhausen and, and Xavier Coates, the former Bronco now, who's really benefiting from that sort of... Uh, sort of play. Geez, they're impressive to watch. There was three or four real impressive long-range tries that started in their own half and just tore through the Bulldogs. But yeah, look, it was frustrating for Trent Barrett. There was just, uh, they made a lot of elementary mistakes and the Storm are just the type of team that, that when they're up and, and going like that and they're just rolling forward that you can't make those mistakes. And it, it was pretty brutal in the end, yeah. Now, is Todd Payton out of line after the Cowboys went down to the Roosters? I think he was. I, I, I think I, I don't agree with him. He, he basically said he thinks that the uh, the more high profile teams get favoured by the referees, and and look, I'm not sure that's the case. I just think there's a, a wild inconsistency between a lot of the way the decisions that are made among the different match match officials across the round, and and I get why that's frustrating. The the Cowboys, for instance, they had three players sin binned in that loss to the Roosters in Townsville on Saturday night. And two of them were very, very dicey indeed. Look, they were line ball decisions. You could say they were soft, really. Um, Chad Townsend one and the one with Griffin Neem for late hits. Yeah, look, they, they were pretty... I, I can understand why Todd Payton's frustrated. I, I don't think you can, you can really criticise the referees and say that they favour the better teams. I just think... The general feel is, is the frustration about the, the wild inconsistencies with sin binnings. And look, like the one big point that, that gets referenced over the last few weeks is, is Big Nelson, a sofa Solomon, of that shocking late hit on mm. Makahesi Makatel from Parramatta. Nothing was done. And then you see, you know, a guy like what, Chad Townsend throwing an arm out and getting 10 in the bin for barely brushing, brushing a player high. And I can see why coaches are frustrated. But, yeah, look, I, I think it goes back to just more more inconsistency. They were hoping that they'd be able to 
really overhaul the match review system and the on-field officiating and really get a lot uh, and really improve it a lot this year, but it hasn't been the case so far. Now, just if we can just switch codes to the AFL, Nick, and what's going on with the contract status of, of Leon Cameron out there at GWS? Well, they've put it off to the end of the season and, and really it leaves it, or uh, put off any talks to the end of the season, which, as you guys know, is, is very strange when a, when a guy's off, but he, his actual tenure will be done at the end of the season if they don't decide to recontract him. And, yeah, look, I, I think it, to be in, to Leon Cameron's credit, he, he said all the right things publicly, but obviously, yeah, it, it's not an ideal situation for him. They want to wait and see how this team goes under him this year. I think it's his 10th season. And, yeah, look, there, there are some genuine questions about whether the Giants can can get to or back to at contending for premierships or, or that real elite level under him. And, and yeah, look, uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if this is the last season we see of, of Leon Cameron in charge of the Giants. Nick, thank you very much for your time this morning. We do appreciate it. We'll catch up with you again next week. Thanks a lot, boys. There is Nick Markham from Channel 7 in Sydney. Let's get over to Adelaide and from Channel 9 in Adelaide. We've got Tommy Wren with us on the line, I dare say, still coming down off what was an unbelievable Friday night showdown. Hello, Tommy. Incredible, boys. Although I'm a bit flat because that was the only game I got wrong with my tips for the week. And I'm in a tipping comp where you get a couple of hundred bucks if you get uh, the perfect nine. So I'm pretty livid with that result, actually. But... Amazing game of footy. Yeah, it certainly was. It certainly was. In terms of, put it on a scale, Tommy, 10 being really, really hot. What out of 10 is the the heat that Ken Hinckley is under at Alberton? 11. Mm. Um, it, it, it has come in a massive way. Look, I think there's always been this section of fans over here, diggers, that, for whatever reason, they just don't like him, haven't warmed to him. Why, and that's really Why is that? A huge ground. So I, look, I'm, with, I'm a bit with you because I'm, I'm kind of like, be careful what you wish for. I, I think if a, if a coach has lost the playing group, you've got to make a call. For me, I don't see any evidence of that. I mean, they should have won that game on Friday night. They didn't get that. There's 0-3, get that, struggling big time. But... His record, 60% winning record over time. The reason, though, dig us back to your question, why they're upset, because he hasn't gotten to the promised land, because they've fallen short. They are embarrassed in the prelim last year. Um, it basically comes down to that. They're upset that he hasn't been able to deliver, you know, that, that grand final and premiership, which is what they crave. So, Tommy, there on uh, Friday night... Just run us through the last couple of moments where they're up by a couple of goals on the crows, and they're coming. They're coming late. What 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 could they have done differently? The power to ensure that that result doesn't unfold. And before what happened with Sam Mays there at the end, clearly. Yeah, I mean, look, you, you go to that Travis Boak moment, and look, it's hard to criticise a guy who you know was their best player for the night. He was just a workhorse and brilliant. I thought. But, you know, he kicks that, it's game over. Um, you know, they had several opportunities. Uh, it, it felt to me like a four or five goal sort of game the whole night. I, mm. At no point did I think the Crows were going to win until Jordan Dawson had the footy in his hands. And yet, you know, here we are. Um, look, maybe structurally, I mean, I, I'm splitting hairs and, and I defer to the experts, but I reckon there was a dump kick outside with about 40 seconds to go. 
and it was all Billy Frampton, I think, you know, across half back, you know, maybe you had at least one player forward of the halfway just to create a contest because inevitably the ball's going to come in. Then your forwards are trying to lay tackles like Mays and, you know, under pressure they make mistakes. But, yeah, I think it just simply comes down to diggers. And, Timmy, you've got to take your chances when yeah. they come. And they didn't do it, and they were made to pay. Was I'll ask you both this question. Was was it a free kick, the Sam Mays one? It was a violent act, and it looked high, but yeah. it, it was just a, it was a swinging arm into his midriff stomach, wasn't it? Holding the man. Holding the man, was it? Yeah. Tommy, Maybe. your yeah. thoughts? I think it probably was there. Look, and it was just clumsy. Um, yeah, it was, yeah. I've seen them, I've seen them paid... Uh, you know, advantage before diggers, but look, I think it was fair enough. I think probably the smartest player of the night was Dawson. Dawson, yeah, yeah exactly. There is no way, there is no way he was the closest player. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Lockie Murphy, all credit to him, I reckon he kicks that one out of yep. 20. Now, he was, he clearly wasn't right to take the kick. I reckon most players, one out of 15. Dawson's about one out of four from there, maybe one out of three. He, he was He's the best kick in the team. He's the best player in that team by a street at the moment. So he was smart to get over there in all the commotion. And I didn't pick it. I was there live. I wouldn't have been able to tell you. But as soon as he got the ball, I went, I don't reckon there's any way he was closest to it. And the replays clearly show that. So smart from him. Um, and I guess the umpires could be awake to it. Yeah. There's a lot to worry about. But gee, it was an, a lot of people talk about the Angus Montreux's incredible bounce from a few years ago, which won Port the, the showdown in the end. This one felt like that. It was missing by three metres before it swung back. Shoah Bakdar would have been happy with that, to swing it that far. It was phenomenal. Terry Alderman's probably a better um, example, actually, of the, the swing. It was incredible, that kick. We had the same thing happen a few years ago, if you remember back to the Jack Nunes goal. Carlton, after the siren against Fremantle, there was yeah. no way Jack Nunes was the closest. So it's, it's a couple of times that it's happened now, but I suppose in all of the... Uh, everything that's going on, Tommy, there, and it was a, a crazy finish, as showdowns often are. It's an easy one for the umpires to miss, isn't it? I think so. You know, and look, it's not up to the officiating umpire. I think that's where the the other umpire has to come in. The non-officiating, they were probably worried about what Murphy was like, though, in the, in the you know heat of it all. And there was you know a lot going on, as you say, siren happening. Um, but yeah, I, it was a fifty-meter kick, tight angle. Um, yeah, I, I just don't think, and maybe that'll be a wake-up call. I'm sure um, to the umpires around the league, if and when it happens, make sure you're you're half aware of who is around the contest because you know it, it can cost the game of footy. Now, Tommy, before we let you go, do Port Adelaide go zero and four on Thursday night at home against Melbourne, or do they bounce back and get the win that hopefully gives Ken Hinkley some breathing space? Because all logic tells me Melbourne win and win pretty comfortably. It's a proud group, though. Look, it wasn't a great standard of game. It felt to me like two bottom sort of five or six sides on Friday night. They had a crash. Don't get me wrong, it was red hot, but a lot of skill errors. Funny feeling I did is I'm going to put myself out there a little bit. I actually think Port might give something. Okay. I actually think they might have a... If you're looking for a line bet at least, I think they'll be good for it. I think this is seasonal bust. It is everything on the line Thursday night, I think they might just put something up and don't be surprised. I think they could even get the win. Okay, and can the Crows trouble the Bombers under the roof? Yeah, they can because the Bombers are struggling. They're really struggling. Um, But they'd have to lift again. Their midfield just get belted at clearance too often. 
they can win, but they'd have to tidy up around the stoppage, which I think they need to do pretty big, and in a big way. And more importantly, Tommy, who wins at Augusta? I think, I think the one to watch, previous form is really good for me. Cam Smith, I hope. Victor Hovland's probably my number one tip. But Hideki Matsuyama's got a brilliant record. He's good odds, boys, with the tab at the moment. Great record there. Throw a couple of cheeky dollars on him. That's my trifecta. Smith, Hovland, Matsuyama. Smith, Hovland, Matsuyama. All right, we'll, we'll check back in. They'll probably be on 17 or 18 this time next week by the time that we chat to you, Tommy. Thank you very much for it this morning. Have a great week. Thanks, boys. Great job. You're listening to the Sports Daily with your hosts, Tim Walker and Digby Beecham. On the Sports Daily, it is time to introduce one of the most well-respected Greyhound tipsters in the business, Harry Buchanan. Finding winners locally and nationally, we now place Harry Buchanan under the spotlight. Oh, it's always good to catch up with him on a Monday morning. Hello, Harry. All right, boys. How are you going this morning? We're okay. Happy Monday to you. How do we find you? Yeah, very good. Married at first sight last night, so I'm on a high this morning. Very, very excited. Right. How was it? Was it good? Oh, riveting stuff, boys. Uh, tonight's a final episode, and yeah, I'm uncontactable between seven and nine. Is it dinner party it tonight? Two hours yeah. the show. No, it's a reunion know, it's tonight, a, isn't it? Oh, it's a reunion. Tonight's where the the actual uh, footage comes out, and yeah. you know the, the real stuff gets. So yeah, it gets real uh, footage of what. Everything. Uh, all the going on behind the doors, you know, that oh. they didn't as well watching. Like, it's pretty good for a show that, you know, people are in a reality show and they don't realise there's 40 cameras around, so... <laughs> Must be clever. Yeah. yeah, very clever. They're going to see how clever they are tonight when the old uh, hidden cameras start coming out, so can't wait. No. The game on, diggers. That's oh, what Harry's yeah. saying. <laughs> yes, he is. Now, whereabouts are we making a dollar today, Harry? Uh, we'll go to Angle Park first, boys, before Kennington tonight. Race three, number four, Jack's Cade. I don't know what's going on here with this $9, but there's no Victor Grosso and Victor Reed in this, and uh, he's been running placings to those boys, so he gets half a crack here. He'll be hard to stop. The dog in five, a very, very good beginner. Probably the best beginner in Australia. He's on fire, but he struggles at the trip. Uh, hopefully we're the first one behind him. So that's race three, number four, Jack's Cade, down to race... Uh, 11, number 8, Aston Sapporo. He's got a lethal record out here off box 8 at the track at the trip. Uh, runs really quick for a split. He'll be hard to stop. He'll cross over. If he finds the front, that'll be game, set and match. So that's Dingle Park, race 3, number 4, and race 11, number 8. OK, come locally if we can to Cannington. Race 3, number 8, Wizards Force has two woefully slow beginners inside him tonight. No excuses for him not to run his... 559 that he did last week. Crossover leads. That'll be it. Uh, he virtually has two vacant boxes inside him. So he'll be very hard to stop there. And then down to race 12, number six, Sebastian Mack. If he doesn't win tonight, no more ever again. So he really should be beating these. He does get another sticky box draw, but he can offset it. He's better than these dogs. So uh, we'll go with race three, number eight, Wizards Force. Race 12, number six, Sebastian Mack. All right, and that standout of them, just in recap, Harry? Yeah, I think it'd be Wizards for us tonight, Tim. It should be really leading all the way. All right, good stuff. Thank you very much for your time this morning. We'll do it again tomorrow. Look forward to it. Thank you, guys. There is Harry Buchanan with us on the program. Let's head over to Sydney now, continue around the nation. Richard Haynes is with us. Richard, good morning to you. 
Good morning, guys. Good morning to your listeners on a beautiful Sydney morning and uh, day one of the championships done and dusted and yeah, bring on uh, bring on day two this weekend. Yeah, cannot wait for it, Richard. How was it? And the performance of Hitotsu, the first time you had a look at him, what were your what were your thoughts post race there on Saturday? Well, he's an amazing animal. <laughs> I think to do what he's been, to do what he's done. Look, I I think um, you know he was a, he was a horse that you know, plenty not plenty but someone would have egg on their face and that. You know, he, he had to do what Dulcify and Mahogany have done before, not many have done before, and win a Victoria Derby and then go and win an Australian Derby. Uh, he's just an amazing athlete. He must have the biggest set of lungs on him uh, because you know, Ben O made him work for it, so did Allegron. But, yeah, he, he is some animal uh, to, to do that and, uh, yeah, one of the real stars of the show. On, on Thursday night, I did a function with John O'Shea and Brezen Abdullah it was an evening with both guys uh, for the ATC members. It's a lot of fun. It's a bit of a half of this racing your life, uh, this yep. racing life. And late in the day, or late in the night, we sort of said, "What are you the best for the weekend?" And and John O'Shea got up there and said, "Well, I can tell you right now that Benno's the wrong price. I don't get. I don't get how he's sixteen dollars." Uh, half an hour later, I don't know if there was someone in the room, but half an hour later at eight thirty Thursday night, he was eleven dollars. <laughs> so I don't know what happened there, but he ran a huge, huge race. But they all just bumped into a, a pretty serious and amazing three on Hotatsu. Yeah, an unbelievable will to win. That was the derby, the TJ Nature Strips moment in the sun again, and it was, it was as dominant as what the past two TJ wins have been, if we're brutally honest, Richard. I think it was, uh, guys, I think it was, you don't like to sort of show disrespect to any of the other runners, but it was it was over after a furlong. Yeah. Um, I mean... No, Eduardo's a great sprinter, a great, and he—I thought he might have sort of shown a bit more um, urgency to, to lead. But I, I think the big fella just took James across, and James said, "No worries, I'll I'll lead." And you know, turned for home. He was just rolling, and nothing was going to get near him. I mean, when he's when, when he's in that kind of mood, and the track was drying out all the time, then uh, you know, 24 hours earlier, there was plenty of talk around the place that oh, we're not going to race on Saturday because it was just. Just horrific at Randwick weather-wise, and there was talk. Oh, you know, I think a lot of the trainers have been told be prepared for Sunday races and that kind of thing. But we got there, we raced. The track's been amazing and improved, and oh, I think that was probably in Nature Strip's favour, an improving track. And and plus the fact that if it's a grand final, he generally he generally stands up. And I'm not not knocking the other runners. No. The, the improving track saw Shelby 66 go from six dollars to twelve dollars. Yep. And he pulled up a bit. He pulled up lame. Um, he's a, an amazing job, but I think yeah, it was there for all the world to see that when nature strips feeling like that, there's no sprinter on the planet that gets anywhere near him. Did you see Mr. Brightside winning the Doncaster going into Saturday? Didn't have him in my first fifteen selections. <laughs> sixteen. Uh, <don't>, I, <laughs> I, yeah, sixteen. <laughs> and I don't, again, don't want to be. It's funny. Yeah. You go through the race. You go through the race, and you look at the runners and. Yeah, sort of what, fourth or fifth in an all-star mile. Wasn't sure whether that was quite going to be the form, but he's a bit of a winner. Um, in, in hindsight, he's, you know, down in the weights and the, the right horse on the spot at the right time. And, you know, well done to Ben and JD, uh, the Hayes team. Great training performance, huge for them in their, you know, uh, early days in their partnership. But no, I didn't I didn't have him winning the race, um, but that's what can happen in a, in a Doncaster mile. Um you know, Forbidden Love sort of just uh, battled away there. Uh, but, yeah, all, all on his 
with the winner, to be fair. He was he was very, very good, and he, he stepped up with the big boys on the weekend. We're chatting here to Richard Haynes after day one of the championships at Royal Randwick. Now, the other group won on the day, Fireburn, so she's a two-year-old of the year. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Mm. What did you make of her win? And also, Brenton of Dallas Celebration before the post. You can get your take on it. Yeah, I don't know whether the, the New South Wales stewards panel are listening to me, but they... Uh, they, they, copped a, they copped a little bit of grief across social media, being the fun police, yeah. uh, giving Brenton the four thousand dollar fine. Oh, look, I, you know, I, I think when it comes to that kind of thing, and, and I think what Brenton's been through, and he's come, you know, come back from amazing adversity, and and on a on a really really good filly. I I watched the race from quite high up in the grandstand, and she, um, you know, she's extreme was excellent. She was up on the speed, and she ran a great race, but that fire burn. She has an amazing turn of foot up along the inside, and you know she she was great. Um, she was as impressive as she was in the slipper. You know, Brenton just being a bit cheeky, a uh, bit of theatre, bit of fun. Uh, I didn't think there was a whole lot to it, but just probably a few emotions coming out there for Brenton. So look, he cops the fine. Um, he'll pay it, uh, but you know it's just one of the, one of those things in racing that. I, I think 99% of people were cheering Brenton on and thought it was great, and 1% probably thought, oh, no, that's not on. No, exactly. And unfortunately, right. that 1% <laughs> are, are, are the racing New South Wales stewards, <laughs> and they just want to keep, they just want to keep things nice yeah. and safe and as, as good as they can possibly be. We, we get that, but can't blame Brenton for, um, for having a bit of fun on winning a board, they really, really good filly. Yeah, agree. I think they've put that very well, Richard. Now, what about Saturday upcoming? Does the the Grand Mare does she claim another Group One? Does she bounce back after that defeat at the hands of Montefilia? Uh, she she's right in the mix. She's a she's a, a, a chance to do it. She's a champion. There's no doubt. This is going to be going to be an amazing race. I'll sort of you look at you look at a horse like Animo. And I, I really like Converge of the Doncaster. I thought he was a bit plain. So is there a little a little niggle on that three-year-old form at that kind of level? Maybe. Zaki's going to be on his game. Uh, Montefilia, she's flying. And, yeah, I, look, very elegant has to be a great, great chance. Um, uh, where, there's more rain forecast for later in the week, which will certainly help her. It's just going to be a great race. I think the big, the big wild card will be Ed Cummings. Um, you know, going to make a decision. I think today or tomorrow whether they accept with Jewis in the race. I, you know, I sort of think around. You know, probably last Thursday, or Friday, I sort of got the feeling Ed was like, well, Sydney Cup. Uh, you know, then get to a Melbourne Cup with no weight. But the whispering and murmurings are more that he's looking to run in the Queen Elizabeth with Jewis which would mean, you know, what an amazing contest that'll be. You know, we're forgetting about Think It Over. is a really good horse as well. Uh, so it's going to be a race and a half this weekend. Can't wait to wrap it all up with you next week, Richard. Thanks for your time this morning. No worries, guys. Speak next week. Richard Haynes is our Sydney thoroughbred racing expert from Sky Racing, and he'll be with us again next week to look back at day number two. Fantastic days racing there at oh. Randwick on the weekend. The, the, Once the weather cleared a little bit as well, and sun was poking through, it's fantastic. The first three Group Ones were outstanding. I, I think you can make the argument around who the best horse in the Doncaster was. It was Mr. Brightside on the day on Thunderstruck running second again, so he's clearly one of the star milers, and he might back up and prove his worth in the Queen Elizabeth this week as well. So, 
Uh, but the first three were just outstanding winners, the, the big horses coming to the fore on a big day. Let's get to Tony Jones from Channel 9 over there in Melbourne. Hello to you, TJ. Yes, good morning, fellas. How are you going? We're okay. How are you? Yeah, good. Yeah, I think, uh, well, we all had losses on the weekend, uh, some more honourable than others. <laughs> Jimmy, diggers. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, you've got West Coast this week, Collingwood. Surely you don't lose to West Coast. Look, why even come over? Uh-huh. I mean, seriously, I mean, sort of... <laughs> Waste, wasted <laughs> spot. <laughs> <laughs> Where is it being played? It's uh, Bingley Oval, is it, or somewhere? Um, Marvel. Uh, that's it, Marvel. Oh, you have to travel to Marvel. Marvel. Uh, yeah, what's going on there? Oh, clearly we didn't think we're, clearly we didn't think we're going to fill the MCG. But, um, oh, no, it, oh, well, look, I'll tell you what, anything can happen in this season because we've seen so far only three weeks in uh, I mean, who would have thought Carlton would be in the position that it's in at the moment? And great that Michael Boss has actually said to the supporters, <laughs> don't worry about putting a lid on this, you know, enjoy it. And and so they should. It was it was terrific to watch. It was a terrific game to watch as a neutral, and that's what I liked about it. And I think Carlton have got this real opportunity at the moment to, uh, to chalk another one up next week when they play Gold Coast, albeit up there. But as I said, nothing's a, nothing's a gimme these days, uh, although you would suspect that Carlton shouldn't have any problems the way they're playing at the moment. They're just playing a really confident brand of football. Just on yesterday, 66,000 MCG. Mm. Sunday, one ten. It's not a traditional time slot. It's not a Saturday afternoon or a Friday night, as I said earlier on to Diggers, TJ. But are we going to expect more of this with the Blues up and about? All of their fans will come from everywhere to watch their home games. Well, I think it's a family-friendly slot because Saturdays are predominantly taking up, taken up with kids' sport, uh, whether it be netball, whether it be football or whatever. So Saturday, you know, the two ten slot is a really difficult one. Um, the, the Saturday night one obviously is now considered to be a marquee match. But Sunday afternoon, is, it, it's far better for a one ten game or 1 o'clock game than it is so a four ten game where you've sort of got the kids coming home late and you've got to get them ready for school, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, yeah, very family-friendly, that one. I had a couple of texts from, from mates of mine who have got young children that said, how good is this? You know, um, you get up in the Sunday morning, you don't have to sort of kill too much time before you're on a, a train or a tram heading to the ground, and, and, and then it's all done and dusted, and you're home well before 6 o'clock. It's a, a very family-friendly time slot, I would have thought. And, and Carlton fans, uh, <laughs> they don't care when they play at the moment. They'll play at midnight on a Wednesday if they have to. Uh, they're, just, they're just loving this sort of rejuvenation of the club. What about the, the fresh faces in the coach's box? And we just spoke about, obviously, Carlton and Hawthorne. We know that Michael Voss, the second mm-hmm. coming of him, Sam Mitchell, it's early doors, but there's been a lot to like. And the same surely applies down there at Collingwood. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you look at... Uh, I, I mean, I watched that game, obviously, on, on um, Saturday night, and I, I would have liked to be a neutral supporter, but even though Collingwood lost, I was still, you know, after the initial disappointment had sort of subsided, uh, I thought, no, this is this is great. And mm. I made the comment on the Sunday footy show yesterday, I, I'm quite confident Collingwood can win a flag within five years because they've got this amazing, amazing batch of youth at the moment, like the Dacos boys, Quainer, uh, the list just goes on and on and on. They need a key forward, there's no doubt about that. But anyway, to answer your question about the um, the coach's box, yeah, I look at Craig McRae and I see someone who is just so cool, calm and collected. I mean, mm-hmm. when that game was in the balance and Collingwood was, you know, sort of slipping away because of the comeback by Geelong, um, he just didn't seem flustered to me. He just didn't seem flustered one iota. And I think that's that's probably rubbing off on the players because there's this new sense of freedom, if you like. 
I thought your comment was spot on yesterday. I think it's going to be a loss that in the short term, Collingwood fans, it'll be painful. But in the long term, you'll look at it and go, you know what, it's it's all a part of the the journey that you're on. And absolutely, they could they could not only be winning a flag in the next five years, they could be playing finals this year, putting their hands up for selection the way for a final spot the way that they're going. Uh, Essendon Friday night, are you prepared to put the fork in them at zero three? Well, yeah, although. Uh, they do have a couple of uh, handy games coming up, and I'm sorry to say that because I think they're uh, both against WA teams. They've got, I beg your pardon, they've got Adelaide, Adelaide this week. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I, I, the only reason I say that they've got a couple of potential wins coming up is because uh, Matthew Lloyd spoke about it yesterday, uh, and you know he, he can be quite critical of Essendon, but he, he he doesn't think they're the basket case that the latter position would suggest they are in their win-loss ratio at the moment. They certainly put up a far better display against um, Melbourne on Friday night. Melbourne continuing to be the yardstick. So, um, no, I don't, I, don't, I don't think you'd be too disappointed at the moment, but clearly they need a win. They desperately need a win because if they drop another one, particularly to Adelaide, then, yeah, we'll be putting a fork in them then, I would have thought. TJ, be really interested to get your thoughts. I watched with a great deal of intrigue yesterday when yourself and Damien Barrett were working through the Jeff Kennett Cyril Rioli situation. Mm. What's your gut telling you here? What happens? Well, I, I find it interesting that the the finger is being pointed wholly and solely at Jeff Kennett at the moment, and I suppose it's by virtue of the fact that he's the president. And if you look at past club indiscretions with the way they've treated their Indigenous policy, Indigenous players, and their, an extension of that, their families, then... You know, at Collingwood, Eddie Maguire paid the price, didn't he? So, yes. um, so I can sort of understand in some way the finger being pointed at Jeff Kennett. But by the other token, I, th- I think, you know, one of the crucial elements of this is being overlooked. And to me, it wasn't the comment at the airport that was the most um, damning, that being about the Cyril Rioli's wife wearing ripped jeans and Jeff putting his hand in his pocket looking for loose change saying, oh, I'll get you a needle and thread. Because I've got to be honest, I mean, that that joke has been made umpteen times by umpteen dads with their daughters. I've I've done the same thing. Um, But it was the straw that broke the camel's back, according to the Riolis. And when you sit around and you hear some disparaging remarks from senior players, um, particularly about one of the young Indigenous players and talking about his partner, Mm. I think that should be the real issue here about the the offhanded insults and derogatory remarks that are being made around the club. like it's common common practice to do that. I mean, like grow up. You know, we, we've we've moved on surely from those sort of disparaging remarks. So, as I said, I, I don't think we should be putting Jeff Kennett in the gun because of those comments about the ripped jeans. I mean, I think I think that's unfair on Jeff. But he's big enough and ugly enough to look after himself, um, and and he'll do that in in time, I guess. Does he survive? When I say that, does he last the end of his current term? I think so. I okay. think so. He's not, he's not the sort of person to fall no. on his sword. That's no. Cool. So, yeah. um, you know, and he's, well, he's, 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 he, well, he wasn't at the game yesterday and it was a sexy headline because uh, he thought, oh, hello, but he's got COVID. So he's isolating at home yep. at the moment. So, um, but yeah, look, I, I think he survives purely because of his belligerence. And I mean, he's a politician. At the end of the day, he's a politician. You know what they're like. They don't go easily. No, he's got some front. Yeah. TJ, just one before we do let you go. I know you've obviously had the Australian Open over there in Melbourne earlier this year, but another massive event this weekend, the Grand Prix. This was the first event to go by the wayside when you think back to two years ago and it's finally back in Melbourne. What's the excitement levels around town for it? 
pretty much zero um, because, well, no, because I think it needs to ramp itself up a little bit because even this morning we had the Today Show on and they had a story about the Grand Prix or I think someone made a comment about the Grand Prix and how it's going to sort of bring an injection of confidence and money into the city. And my wife said, the Grand Prix? Well, the Grand Prix's on this week. I said, I said, yeah, I won't be home for a few nights. Anyway, so, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> well, we've got the glamour on the grid on Wednesday. That starts things off, of course, and then a few little freebies and boxes. But, um, uh, no, but I think it's sort of more so caught up on a lot of people who aren't necessarily petrol ahead. So it'll, it'll ramp up as of today. Uh, and, and, you know, once we start getting the drivers into town and start you know, getting around Daniel Ricciardo, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and they have all their media opportunities and their corporate events, uh, i.e. sort of like, you know, sort of selling their sponsors, then I think it'll certainly ramp up. And I think I think ticket sales have been very, very healthy. So I think it's more a virtue of it's it's just sort of like been thrust upon us and we're sort of like been taken by surprise, like, oh, wow, the Grand Prix is in town this week. So, no, I think it'll be good. I think uh, the weather forecast is really good, so we're not going to get like a horrible day, I wouldn't have thought at the moment. I mean, I think it, the Saturday forecast is sunny and 26. Um, that'll change and probably be about hail and 14 by the time the weekend rolls around. But um, but at the moment, everything's going fine and uh, it, it will ramp up. But at the moment, um, I don't hear a lot of people talking about it. Okay. Well, enjoy the weekend ahead and we will catch up with you next Monday to tidy it all up. Okay. Good on you, fellas.